God with prayer. Let us pray. Please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we now come to you in prayer. This is our prayer for spiritual illumination. We are a needy people. We need you to, to bless us with your Holy Spirit in granting us understanding from your word, in granting us understanding of our own heart and our own life. We confess to you our, our weakness and without your grace, utter helplessness to believe and to obey. Father, we ask now that you would give strength to our minds to pay attention. You have created us in knowledge, and you speak to us and address us. Uh, first, uh, you, you, um, you're gracious to us first by addressing our minds. So we ask that you would keep us from distraction and that you would grant your minister um, freedom of speech and clarity of thought. We ask that you would minimize the distractions, not just physically here in this room, but also in our mind. We ask that you would have your way with us in regards to our, our sin, where we, we need to repent. We ask that you would bless us with an abundant uh, presence and a sense of your presence, that your angels would be uh, with us, that they would, uh, as it were, be sitting amongst us, listening and, and searching into the gospel, as we're told in Peter's epistle. Father, we ask that the devil would be far from this room and from our minds and from our hearts. Give us faith and preserve your minister and as he preaches. Uh, keep him from saying more than your word says and less than your word says and make it uh, now to be a very sweet time where we are in fellowship with you through your son and by his spirit. May we um, have joy in our hearts as we worship you and now in the reading of scripture and, in, and also in the preaching of the word. We ask this not because we in ourselves deserve it, we ask this because of our shield, our anointed one, the Lord Jesus, who is even now seated at your right hand in interceding for us. We ask that you would answer this prayer uh, on his, uh, his account and on his merit. Will you not bless us, Heavenly Father? Will you, will you withhold a blessing from us tonight? We ask that you would look at Jesus Christ and, and heed this prayer and bless us. For we ask in his name, amen. amen. Let's continue the worship of God in the reading of Scripture, and I invite you to turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I will read the first 13 verses. Give attention now to God's holy word. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 13. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted, neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, 
The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Amen. Thus far God's word. Now let us continue the worship of God in the preaching of, of the word and in the attentive hearing of it. To that end, I'd like to draw your attention to verse 12. And I'll read that again to you. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. That is our verse tonight. A few months ago, fairly recently in my life, I received an email from a minister in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church who is currently pastoring a congregation in Oregon. The email was a letter of transfer for a mother and some children in that family. It was obvious to me that the husband and, the, and the, um, the father was not in that letter of transfer. He thought I was still pastoring a congregation in California. We had sent them, as joyfully as you can when you lose a family, we had sent them to, to them, excited that they were going to be a part of another Napark congregation, the OPC. But, and so he, he sent me this email thinking that I was the pastor there. The husband had committed adultery, had refused discipline by the, congr- uh, by the elders, to the point that he told them, I am not a Christian. I've never been a Christian. Lots of things, of course, happened. They didn't. This was not a quick thing. And the letter said that uh, the session gave this lady... Um, the right to a civil divorce. She moved back to where she was from, where her family was from, because they moved to be with his family. And it's just terrible. I knew these people. <laughs> I was their pastor for two years. We had them in our house. It's very sad. To say in hindsight, oh, I can kind of see that would be, would be silly. I mean, that's, I would not have guessed that would have happened. Perhaps you have your own story of apostasy and of, of scandalous sin. For all I know, it's happened in this congregation recently or is going on. I don't know. Perhaps it's going on in your family or has, has happened to, to your family. These things do happen. Apostasy and scandalous sin happen in the church. It's a reality. It happens probably more than we would like to acknowledge and admit. It's sad. How do we understand this? How do we understand the spiritual state of these folks who who in many cases grew up in the church. In other cases, they professed faith and were baptized. They lived among us. They liked preaching. 
They came to the evening service on the Lord's Day. And more than that, how, how do we prevent this in our own life? Perhaps even more importantly, should we? Should we be concerned about that? Is that just for those people? Well, this is the, the, the topic and, and some of the issues that I'll be addressing in my sermon. My, my sermon this evening is entitled Preventing Apostasy and, and, and preventing, preventing Scandalous Sin. And I want to I speak to you under three points. Three, I have three sections to my sermon. I want to first give the exposition of this verse. Secondly, I want to establish and, and, and um, explain and clarify the doctrine of this verse. And then my last section will be the application of this, of this verse. So first, the exposition of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There are four points of exposition that we need to, to know here. The first is the image of the exhortation. This verse comes to us by way of exhortation, and there is an image. There's a mental picture. There's a uh, just very natural, natural illustration woven into this. It has to do with uh, a man, uh, a person standing and falling. A few days ago, I was with my children. I'm their uh, physical education instructor in our, in our school at home. And we were doing some physical training out in the park. We were running uh, laps. It was about a mile. And one of my children um, we were, was right behind me, was doing really good, and then suddenly just fell down. And I, I was ahead of them, and I, and I, I heard him fall down. It was, uh, he lost his breath. He was, I mean, he was just like, it, it, it was a wipeout. He skinned his knee. I had to come over there and help him. He actually, to his credit, was, was fairly resilient, but, and he, he ended up completing the training, but he had to sit off to the side and just gain his breath, recover. I mean, it was, took him out. And that's the idea. It's often used in a military sense in the scriptures. Second Samuel 1 David's lamenting the death of Saul and of Jonathan. He says, how the mighty have fallen. That's what happens when you're in a hand-to-hand combat with a sword. If you die, right, you fall to the ground. How the mighty have fallen. We see this uh, idea of standing and fighting in Ephesians 6. This illustration. And we're, if you're used to Scripture, this is pretty natural to you, know, to, you to see this. But... Verse 13 of Ephesians 6, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, etc. You see, there's this analogy, there's this illustration. And also fall. It's a being applied here to spiritual things. That's my point. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10. It's a very similar verse in, in as far as its teaching goes. Second Peter 1, verse 10. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. You won't fall away from Christ. You won't fall away from the church. You won't commit apostasy or scandalous sin and bring great dishonor to yourself and especially to Christ. This is uh, the image. This is what he's talking about. The context also helps us see that. And that's why I read that this chapter. It's leading up to it. He's saying, uh, you know, these examples here, fornication, idolatry, serious scandalous sin. The fact that the Old Testament the uh, Old Covenant people of God, in many cases, were destroyed, is, is a type of what really was going on spiritually. So the second point of exposition is the reason for the exhortation. The reason. 
Now, the reason is this. God's people are capable of apostasy and scandalous sin. Wherefore, it's probably not super helpful to make too much of one word, but this conjunction is connecting what has been said to the exhortation. The context, in context, we, we, to speak um, respectfully of the scriptures, of course, we don't need this verse. It's, it's intuitive to the context and flow of thought. Wherefore, based on what I've just been saying, this is what I want you to do. Because this is a possibility for you today, take heed. You see, there's a reason for it. There's a reason. It's a possibility. We see this in the previous statements. Clearly, this was for our example. He's saying in verses 7, 8, and 9, Neither let us, because we can. Because we can. It's, it's very helpful to see the connection he's making with the Old Testament people of God, where the ministry of the Holy Spirit was not quite as significant they had the Holy Spirit. That's another sermon. and I, wanna, I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but this is Paul talking to, to a congregation in the New Testament who, who has received the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is what he's saying. This is, there's a reason for this exhortation. It's a possibility. Well, thirdly, the third point of exposition is, is the content of the exhortation. What is he actually exhorting them to? Well, he says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Take heed lest he fall. This is a command. The um, word used here has a visual connotation. It's, it's touching on what you see. It's often just used in the New Testament to refer to someone seeing something. Jesus says, same word, Translated differently in context, beware of the scribes and Pharisees. Okay, the best way to understand this, um, what he's getting at, is when you're, you're driving in the car, you're the passenger, you're in the passenger seat, someone else is driving and they're not paying attention, and you say, watch out. The implication isn't just put your eyeballs on what's in front of you and notice it. Oh, look, there's a car in front of me. I'm going 45 miles per hour. No, do something. Take preventive action. Respond accordingly. In some cases, this word gets at taking heed as in like focusing in on something, which I think is the sense here. Take heed to yourself is the sense. In other cases, it's beware and go away. Mark it and depart from it and make steps to stay away from it. That's the exhortation. Take heed to yourself that you not apostatize, that you not fall into scandalous sin. There is something that you are to do. God in his word comes to you and he's commanding you to, to do something, not just to, to believe something. Well, the fourth point of exposition is where all this comes together, and it's very useful. It's the object of the exhortation. Who is Paul speaking to? Well, I've already mentioned that a little bit, right? Um, Christians. God's people. Paul is writing a letter to a congregation in Corinth. I'm preaching to a congregation in LaGrange, Georgia. But it's more specific than that. Wherefore, let him who thinketh he standeth take heed. This sermon, this message is very appropriate for those who attend the evening service in a faithful, God-honoring church. This exhortation is not primarily for the proud. He's not rebuking pride. That's not what he's saying here. Now, you think you stand, but you really don't. No, I mean, that would apply because we don't want to be proudful. 
that's not the focus. He's not even speaking to people who are in scandalous sin and who have been excommunicated or who have apostatized. Now, I want to say to you here, if you are in scandalous sin, the only reason why you would be rejected, or, or I'm sorry, you would be, um, that you would stay in that state is because you do not come to the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin, taking hold of his mercy, taking hold of him in his mercy. And so I want to tell you that if you're, you know, you're, your, your pastor doesn't know, or, or your, maybe your spouse doesn't know, but you are right now in scandalous sin, repent, confess it, there's mercy. There's mercy for you, and that's the message for you. But I'm not speaking to you primarily tonight. I'm speaking to mature Christians. I'm speaking to officers in the church. This message is very good for preachers. This is good for Sabbath school teachers. This is also a good message for sleeping Christians. Maybe you're, you're growing up in the church, you're a covenant child, and you have no desire to fall into scandalous sin or to apostatize or to believe false doctrine, but you're not aware that you're in, war, you're in spiritual warfare, and you're kind of just, you know, sleeping, not very sober-minded. You think you stand. That's what's going on here. That's the object of this exhortation. Now, what does all this mean? And that's the second section of my sermon, the doctrinal section. And what I want to do in this second part of my message is four things. The first thing I want to do is clearly state my doctrine. See, we are made in the image of God, and part of that is that we are made in knowledge. And God addresses our minds. The object of your faith is not the man behind this pulpit. The object of your faith is God himself. So therefore you must know what God has said. The doctrine is this. Because Christians are capable of apostasy, they must take preventive action. That's the doctrine. Because Christians are capable of, of scandalous sin, even up to apostasy, they must take Preventive action. And it's helpful for us to compare Scripture with Scripture. There are two other places, at least, that I know where this doctrine is taught. I'm not going to expound these passages of Scripture, but it's helpful to just read them, and you'll see that although they're different, and they have their different nuances, if, if I was going to expound them, the doctrine's there. It's contained in it. 1 Timothy four, sixteen: Take heed unto thyself. And unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in, in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. This verse has its own things that need to be clarified, and maybe uh, it's not super helpful to read this verse, but I find it to be ultimately helpful, because you see here, he is to take heed. And what's at stake? Salvation's at stake. That's what we're talking about here. Falling. Okay? 1 Peter 5, 8. And this is, again, the first part of my doctrinal section. I just want to establish my doctrine. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Those are commands. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour spiritually. See the connection. Action needs to be taken because something's at stake. It's an eternal, it's an eternal matter. Now, the second thing I want to do in this section, uh, doctrinal section of my message, is to clarify some things. Even if you haven't been in the Christian church very long, even if you haven't been very studious in your Bible, you might have some questions going on in your head. So secondly, I want to clarify a few things about apostasy. What do I mean when I say that Christians are capable of apostasy? 
Well, I don't mean that those to whom the Holy Spirit has, has actually come upon and converted and given new life, given faith, and then united, as it were, to Christ and has justified them and, and, and adopted them into the home and, and um, begins to live, uh, work in them to, to sanctify them, that suddenly, boom, they're severed from Christ and they're lost forever as if you can lose Christ. I don't mean that. Okay? I, I, don't, I don't mean that. Romans 8. You may have heard of the, the great chain of redemption. Romans 8, 29 through 30. I'm going to read this passage to you. And you'll notice that it's the same people in view from the beginning to the end. Romans 8, 29. For whom he did, that's God, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. See, God is sovereign in salvation from the first to last. Christ says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. This is a bedrock of our faith. We trust in God. Why, should, why do we think we should persevere then? Because God saves us. And I could go on. Psalm 121, which we're going to sing after the sermon, says six times that the Lord is the keeper of his people. Peter picks up that theme in his epistle. I believe it's the first epistle, first, first chapter, where he describes Christians... Okay, in another sense, he describes them. I mean, how would you describe a Christian? I mean, there's different ways you could describe them. He says that Christians are those who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. It's very comforting. Very comforting. And if God is not keeping us, then just forget about it. But what we need to understand... And the reason why I say that Christians are capable of apostasy is because Christians, when we say Christians, when we speak, when a, when a man behind a pulpit okay, speaks to a congregation, we believe that we're speaking to a mixed body. Okay? It's very important. In our, in our confession of faith, larger catechisms 62 and 64 ask the question, what is the visible church? What is the invisible church? Okay, the visible church is a society in all ages, all places of the world, those who profess the true religion and their children. They profess the true religion. The invisible church is the whole number of the elect who that have been, that are, or will be gathered into one under Christ the head. There's a distinction that's very important. It's implied in this exhortation. Um, it's implied in, in, in other places of the scripture. Uh, G Paul says, examine yourselves to, to see if you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not recognize yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? Paul doesn't know who's converted in, in Corinth. That's from 2 Corinthians 13, I believe. He's calling on them to examine themselves. This is why God in the scriptures can call uh, his people covenant breakers. Because the condition of the covenant is faith in Jesus Christ. Just Children, just because you've been baptized doesn't mean you're going to go to heaven. And for that matter, adults, just because you've been baptized doesn't mean you're going to go to heaven. In Ezekiel 16, we have a, I won't read it, but you have a whole chapter. It's about the history of God's people leaving, leaving the Lord and being unfaithful. And it's under the context of a marriage covenant. Ezekiel 16, we have in verse 8, it says, Now when I passed by thee, I looked upon thee. Behold, thy time was the time of love, and I spread my skirt over thee, and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee, and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou became mine. But at the end of the chapter, in verse 59, 
And he says this, For thus saith the Lord God, I will even deal with thee as thou hast done, which has despised the oath in breaking the covenant. I'm going into some of this doctrine on the covenant and the visible church because I want to clarify what I mean when I say that because Christians are capable of apostasy. One of the reasons why I ended up baptizing my son when I went to a PCA church in Savannah back in 2010, thereabouts, 2009, 2010, was because I appreciated the doctrine of the covenant that Presbyterians confessed. And it's helpful to know this. We have a, we have a way of explaining apostasy. They came out from us, for they were not of us. For if they were of us, they would have continued with us. But they, they went out, that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. That's a quotation from 1 John. And I'll just add that we're not called to discern our election. We're called to believe in Jesus Christ. You individually can have an infallible assurance of your salvation. You can. And that's kind of another topic. But just, you may be saved and you may not know that. And you're called to make your calling an election, sure. You're called to press on, to take heed. Well, my third point under my doctrinal section is another clarification. And it's regarding the doctrine of sanctification, which is another theological word that I'll try to explain. But I'm saying to you that because Christians are capable of apostasy, they must take preventive action. They must take preventive action. So you might be thinking to yourself, is my salvation dependent upon me? I feel Satan's temptations. I feel the weakness of my own flesh. That's not very encouraging. Is it dependent upon me? Well, yes and no. I want to clarify that. There's, there's two errors you can fall into. You can, you can fall into the error of saying, of despairing, not looking to Christ and the Holy Spirit, not understanding who you are as a Christian, and then also just being very complacent and resting in your election that you can't know. There's two errors there. When I was in high school, real quickly, state championship football game, our star quarterback was injured. Suddenly, we were like, man, well, without our star quarterback and our middle linebacker, all the pressure went to our, our great running back we had. And this may not be the greatest illustration in the world, but for me, I was like, man, you know, this is crazy. They just focused on our running back, and they beat us. And, and as soon as he was injured, everyone was kind of like, and, and you can kind of have that effect when you fight your sin. You're all by yourself. Where's, you know, where's our champion? Uh, and just despair. And you ought not to do that. You've got to think about who you are uh, as a believer. You've got to think about who you are as a believer and what the gospel is for you in your sanctification. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. Think about the prayer that Paul is praying. He starts the prayer earlier in the chapter, and this is what he's praying, verse 19 that they would know this. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead? So you're facing your temptations. You're facing um, sin. And you feel its power. And then you, and you realize that I'm in Christ. And the gospel for a Christian is that Christ is with them. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so you, by faith, mortify sin because you're functioning and you're acting with the power of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 3 of this same epistle, verse 16. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. So yes, I'm telling you 
that you must take preventive action and you're, gonna, you're going to look to Christ and his spirit who is in you. You're going to remember who you are. Well, yes, of myself, I have no power. But I am united to Christ. I'm going to abide in the vine and I will bear fruit. The next verse in this chapter There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. Above ye are able. But on the other hand, but on the other hand, you can say to yourself, well, I'm, you know, I have the Holy Spirit and I'm good. Sit back. And that's not how Christ works in us. He's, if he, you're you're going to get all of Christ if you get just a little bit of Christ. You can't be justified and not sanctified. He's going to work in you. And so in Hebrews 3, we have in verse 12 and 13, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily. You see, it could happen. You are, God works in you both to will and to do. And so therefore you will work and you will strive. That's what you will do. You won't sit back. So in that sense, it's dependent upon you because of who you are. One of the verses that's really thought-provoking is in Hebrews 12. But pursue peace and holiness Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And we understand these exhortations in the context of the, of the gospel. Our, our confessions, our shorter catechism says that sanctification, because when I talk about apostasy and persevering and, and enduring the temptations of the devil and, and pressing on to the end, I'm talking about sanctification, right? This, this growth in holiness being conformed more and more to... Jesus Christ, our confession says uh, sanctification is the work, God's free grace, where we are enabled more and more to die into sin and to live unto righteousness. And so that's our focus. And so we don't despair. We're not complacent. And we press on. Well, my fourth point in my doctrinal section is a reason for the doctrine. And I realize that my time is, is moving on here. My doctrine is this. Because Christians are capable of apostasy, they must take preventive action. You know, a reason for this doctrine, you, you might think to yourself, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take heed to myself, and, and I'm, I'm moving forward. We need to realize this is actually very important. It's significant that you actually take heed to yourself because of the devil. I mean, a reason for this could be the Holy Spirit and there's a bunch of different reasons, but I want to talk to you about the devil for a second. Neville Chamberlain was the prime minister of Great Britain at the beginning of World War II. He is known for his policy of appeasement of Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany. Less than a year before Hitler invaded Poland in 1939, he made a speech in London responding to the 1938 Munich Agreement between the Germans and English. And he's famous for saying this, peace for our time. Peace for our time. And in the shadows of War I, we can, you know, we can appreciate what he's trying to say, but he did not see the threat that Hitler was. And we're thankful for Winston Churchill. And a lot of Christians can be like Neville Chamberlain when it comes to the devil. That's my point. A few verses for you to think about. I'll just give you two. Times... times Time is going here, and I want you to, to pay attention to my application. Think about this verse, 2 Corinthians 2, 11. I'm just going to read this verse to you. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. 
Satan has devices. He has wiles. He is cunning. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Do you know what they are? Well, how does Satan work? I mean, I'm not going to go into that. Paul is not ignorant of his devices. Satan deceives. That's his primary thing. That's not his only thing. Think about this. Satan and his demons know who you are. In Acts 19.5, there's a scenario where it gets a lot of attention with a Jew trying to exercise a demon. And the demon speaks, and he says to them, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And the emphasis there is on like, you don't have the same power they have. But notice what he says, I know who Paul is. Do you think he knows other Christians too, who they are? Think about this verse, Luke 22, 31 through 32. I'll just paraphrase it. It's, it's just before the betrayal of, of Christ and, the, and Peter's denial of him. And Jesus says to Peter, Satan desires you. He's desired to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And a lot of focus goes on that next phrase. But I prayed for you, and we're encouraged by that. It's very good. Satan desires to sift you. You think Peter's the only disciple of Christ where Satan and his demons have desired that? Don't be ignorant, brethren. We want to be Winston Churchill, not Neville Chamberlain. That's the reason for this doctrine, among others. Well, I actually want to spend a fair amount of time on application. I have six applications. This is the third part of my sermon. And I've hoped to speak to you from God's word and convince you that what I'm saying is true. We could stop here. We could put our Bibles up and pray. I mean, there's... God has given you the Holy Spirit, and some of you are already thinking about application in your life. But I want to help you, and I want to challenge you on this. I have six points of application. Um, and they're going to go off the whole take heed versus beware idea. Okay, In some cases, you need to beware. In other cases, you need to take heed. Three take heeds and then three bewares. My first application is my quickest, and it's this one. Take heed to yourself. And what I mean by that is this. Do you acknowledge and hold to be true that you a baptized communicant member of this congregation who loves Jesus and who enjoyed the morning service and who had a good Sabbath afternoon are capable of apostasy. Where are you at on that? When I've been preaching to you, Certainly capable of a scandalous sin. I suppose you could have an infallible assurance of your salvation. You're thinking to yourself, I don't know. I mean, I, and that's possible. You, but you're capable of scandalous sin. David was. Peter did. Right? So, now, here's the thing. Where are you? So, I'm preaching this sermon. Have you thought about, man, you know what? I'm so glad so-and-so is sitting in this congregation right now. I'm so, I'm so glad so-and-so is sitting next to me or behind me. You know what? I'm going to send this sermon on Sermon Audio to this person or to my family member. If that's what you're thinking, that's, that's got its place, and, and you know, I'm glad that sermon audio, audio exists or whatever, but no. Let's focus on you. Second, second, take heed. Take heed to your heart. So you're, you're a Christian, and you want to persevere, and you're aware. You're aware of Satan's devices, and you're, you're, you're tracking here. Okay, so what am I going to take heed to? You're going to take heed to your heart. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The heart. What do you love? What motivates you? What, what gets you going in the morning? What do you think a lot about? You know, you can take something that's inherently or that's not inherently evil and it can get out of whack 
and it can mess up your life. Totally. Totally mess up your life. What's wrong with a man pursuing his career, providing for his family? Nothing. He's commanded to do that. But he can make his career his life because he loves it. And he neglects his wife and he neglects his children. It's always a subtle thing, by the way, because he loves money. The only inordinate affection that you can have is love for Jesus Christ, love for God. You can love your spouse too much. You can love your kids too much. What's wrong with training your children, teaching them skills, teaching them how to play the piano really well so they can get a scholarship when they go to their college? Nothing. Nothing's wrong with that in and of itself. Piano's fine. Music's good. But suddenly this child doesn't know the Lord because you've been focusing on the piano the whole time and half the time on the Lord's Day throughout their teenage years you went to a recital on the Sabbath day evening and you told them what was really important. Heart. Nothing's wrong with the piano. Just don't love it more than Jesus. And I could, you know, the classic example is someone's falling in love with someone but not really a Christian. You know, that's a classic example. But don't do that either. Listen, men, fathers, protect your daughters because the heart, they attach. And suddenly they love someone who's not a Christian. That's a problem. Keep your, keep your heart. Take heed to your heart. That's the second application. In fact, I'll just ask you, I mean, where's your heart? Is there something disproportionate in your life? Repent. Change that. Do it now. Go home resolved to, to change that. The third take heed. I struggle with how to say this. I'm going to say this. Take heed to the means of grace. But let me clarify what I mean. The third, the third application is take heed to the means of grace. Um... I'll just read Acts 20 and verse 28. Or rather, verse 32. Paul is speaking to the Presbyterian Ephesus, and he says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I commend you to God and to the word his grace. I say the means of grace because I don't want to just separate them from Christ. You're really seeking Christ. The question is, how do you get Christ? Kids, where is Jesus Christ right now? Okay, Jesus Christ is literally a man physically in heaven. Okay? You know, go to Christ, right? Seek Christ. Well, we seek Christ by the power of the Spirit through his ordinances, the means of grace. That's a helpful distinction because Roman Catholics, among other things, you know, you know a lot of those Roman Catholics, I mean, evangelicals can put their trust in the fact that they're physically in a church building on Sunday. Or I read my Bible, you know, and you want communion with Christ. You want to know him. Love for Jesus keeps you from, from sin. Listen, sin's very desirous. One of the blessings of being in fellowship with God and, and being at an at a evening service on the Lord's Day is that you sense God's presence and it's sweet and you don't want to quench that. And so you, you read your Bible. How many of you are reading right now through Leviticus and you're tempted to just kind of sleep in another 30 minutes and skip your reading for the morning? Because Leviticus is tough to read. But you do that by faith. Because whether you understand Leviticus now or not, you'll understand it more later. And you're going to do it by faith because it's going to... You, you, you need to have that time in the morning with Christ to read Scripture. Let me ask you this question. How many of you read the Bible, and kind of like I said earlier, you just close it? How many of you meditate on the Scriptures? It's a difference. Puritans called it the middle grace between reading and prayer. Blessed is the man, Psalm 1. What is he doing in verse 2? He meditates on God's law. You think about the significance for what you read for your life. 
You think about what this means for your, for your doctrine. What is God calling me to believe? You're meditating. You might journal. That's a means of grace. And you're going to take heed to that because you want to be close to Christ and you want to know Christ. You're going to pray. I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. I tend to think it's kind of a bad thing, but my prayer life right now consists in random prayers for about 20 minutes. I mean, I pray more than that, but in the morning I walk around my park and I'm just like, I'm just praying to God. I'm just going to him for help. Do you do that? Do you confess your sins? Do you have communion with him, fellowship with him? He promises to bless that to you, to grow, to use that to make you strong. He honors our prayers. He uses our prayers to protect us from the devil's attacks. Do you ask God to deliver you from the evil one? Uh, another, another quick means of grace that I've touched on before in this book, but I want to say it's so important, is the Sabbath day. Puritans called it the market day of the soul. Who of you go to the grocery store and you're just kind of like, uh, it's, I've been here 15 minutes. I just need to leave. If I don't have everything I need for the week, it's fine. Not a big deal. How many of you do that? But on the Sabbath day, it's the market day of the soul. I mean, you want to just... Whew, all day, prayer, fellowship, means of grace. It's a spiritual exercise, both sermons. You come away from the Lord's day, and you're like ready to go for the week. It carries you through. Take heed to the means of grace. Beware. My fourth application, beware of small sins. Not big sins. You know that. You're not in scandalous sin yet. You're standing. Beware of small sins. 1 Corinthians 5, 6. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. The context here briefly is congregation, a congregation, but the principle applies to the soul of an individual. Small sin grows. Before David committed murder and adultery, he entertained adultery in his heart, looking at Bathsheba from the top of a roof. And before that, he committed a sin we often aren't aware of, and it was the sin of omission. The text clearly indicates that he was a king, and it was the time when kings go out for war. Small sin. And I've been, I've been battling my whole life. I can see David thinking this. I've been battling my whole life. Job's pretty good. I just want to chill out. That's a small sin. Spiritually negligent. Small sins. Well, I just... I mean, I didn't really lie. I just kind of like omitted some stuff that you probably should have known. Once. The other day. It suddenly grows and you start to become a liar or a gossiper. You know, I, it was a wedding. It was my friend's wedding. It was a great time. I mean, I had a lot of beers, but, you know, I just it kind of got drunk. It wasn't that big of a deal. I'm not making it a habit of my life. I mean, I kind of, well, I did. Suddenly it's like, you know, I, I don't get angry with my kids like that much. You see? You're a Christian here and you love the Lord, then you need to be thinking about what your small sins are because they grow. And confess those before the Lord. You can journal that and repent of them. Have, when's the last time that you confessed a sin you committed against someone, maybe your spouse, and it was a small sin? You should still do that because you're keeping watch of your soul and you're being. You're aware of small sins. Beware, fifthly, we're going to have six, six applications. Beware of secret sins. Beware of secret sins. Uh, fairly recently, I went with my family to Birmingham, and I ran in a 5K. I was really proud of myself. <laughs> I had a pretty good time. I'm not going to tell you what my time was. But in all seriousness, I ran fast, but people were watching me. <laughs> and there was people behind me, you know, and I, I didn't want to lose or whatever, you know. My kids were going to be at the finish line, and I wanted to, like, be a good example to them because we've been talking about how they need to try hard and stuff. And people were watching me. And that illustration helps you kind of 
picture a natural human phenomena of just when you're alone, you really find out who you are. Okay, and you need to think about an area of your life where no one may know that you're doing it. The sin is in your cell phone in your pocket. It's pretty secret. It's just at school in a certain room or at work in a certain room. No one knows. And so it, it, your conscience is, not as, is deadened a little bit to it. It may be a small sin that's also a secret sin, but beware of secret sins. There's no secret sins, by the way. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we, must, we have to do. Numbers 32, 23, your sins will find you out. And so one of the ways that Satan deceives you is you kind of get lulled, maybe subconsciously into that idea. You just need to realize that there are, there are no secret sins. You may not need to confess that to your spouse or to your pastor. Confess it to God and repent of it. You may need to get help with secret sins. You, you, you may be uncovering an issue in your life. Pornography, men. Do I need to even mention that? I mean, pornography is just all over, the, all over our society. It's very, it's very private. Repent of it, confess it, and then go get help because it could happen again. Go talk to your elders about it. Um, seek out your elders and your pastor with help. Get accountability. That's an application from this sermon. Listen, if... If there is one man who goes to his pastor or his elder tonight, or, or sometime soon, tonight, and says, listen, okay, it happens occasionally. I haven't really told anybody about it. I want some accountability. Give me some help. Do it. Two years, you might be an adulterer. It grows. Your warnings now. If you're going to act by faith, that's what you're going to do. And it applies not just to that issue, tons of issues. Excessive depression. You may not know it, but you may be hating God in your heart right now. That's the sin. God is not worthy of any hatred. I don't care how bad your life is. Jesus Christ offers salvation to you, forgiveness of sins, eternal bliss. So you, you, know, you, go, you, you repent of that and seek help with that. Secret sins. Six, sixthly, and I will conclude my message this specific sins beware of specific sins and this is what I mean when I say this each one of you is different each one of you has a history you're just like me and there are specific parts there are, there are unique sins that Satan will attack you with or has attacked you with and has been successful with and you need to take specific action to that. I have a acquaintance, uh, someone I know recently diagnosed with stage four liver cancer. He's not going to go to his doctor for general care. I need some vitamins, nutrition plan. No, specific plan. Okay? Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Romans 13, 14. It's a, that's a speci there's a specific aspect of that command. Make no provision for the flesh. You're gonna, you should immediately think of things that, that you, you are typically, um, it's easier for you to do. Okay? Um, it may be that you struggle with lust. And so you are going to um, have no access to the internet on your phone. It's a specific action. That's an example. Uh, maybe you are prone, and these are kind of stereotypes and like big ones, but you know, maybe you are prone to, to substance abuse. So you're not going to drink any alcohol. Not that you can't. Drunkenness is a sin. Not drinking alcohol, but, but you know what? I'm not going to do it because I tend to have more than I should. 
and that's not worth it. When you go to your elders, this is some of the stuff they can help you with. There's a certain sense in which all, all sins are specific to you, but I want you to think about, you know, I, 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 I um, yeah, I mean, we're all different. And so if you're, you're trying to take heed to yourself, this is what you're going to do. The devil hasn't gotten you on that in two years. But it's still a part of the old man. So you're going to take guard on that as well. Because Christians are capable of apostasy, scandalous sin and even apostasy, they must take preventive action. What are you going to do? Mature Christian in response to this. What are you going to do? May God be gracious to us. And may he keep us. Let us have a brief word of prayer. Let's continue the worship of God uh, in a brief word of prayer. Please bow.